Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. So what is astonishing you? (laughs) I am astonished by uh, two teenagers that came to our community meal, our last community meal. Uh, They were outside in the parking lot, I think, if I remember correctly, on the playground equipment, and one of our elders... Uh, was coming in, and she invited them mm-hmm. into uh, the church for our community meal. And they were clearly a bit uncomfortable, yeah, more accurately nervous. Mm-hmm. And I realized that they were trying to get their heads around the free <laughs> of this community mm-hmm. meal. They were, they just had this look on their faces as if to say, really, you guys just do this for anybody that wants Mm -hmm. to come. Mm -hmm. And I think they were, they were a bit anxious, a bit nervous, not because they felt unwelcome, Mm -hmm. but because they actually felt welcomed. And it, it clearly seemed not to be the norm in Mm -hmm. their lives. And, um, and so I, um, and I'm think and I'm, I'm preaching about this this week. That line where Jesus says, "Go out into the highways and compel them to come in." Mm-hmm. So I've been thinking about hospitality and the the need for the church to have this kind of welcome that is really consistent. That is, um, um, well, I say consistent because. When people in our community don't immediately respond to our welcome, our invitation, mm-hmm. we take that as rejection. Mm-hmm. Oh, they don't like us. And so we very quickly move and we say, on to we tried. else. And we tried. But what I'm beginning to see is, no, it takes a moment. It takes a while for people to see, oh, we are really welcome there. Right. And I think also just, I mean, I like the idea of, I mean, that was astonishing hospitality to Mm. them. I mean, there are places where if they had been invited into dinner, that would have not been surprising Mm -hmm. to them. So at a family member's house, at a neighbor's house, maybe at a school event, they would be Mm. like, oh, of course we're invited. We belong. And so I think to um, create a space where we invite people who don't feel like they belong Mm -hmm. And essentially our invitation says like, no, no, you, you do. And I mean, if our hospitality isn't astonishing, then it's not really hospitality. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Trademark Kate Murphy <laughs> credit on Sunday. <laughs> no, I that's really cool. Mm, um, that's really, that's really, and that's the whole point, right? Like yeah. that is the whole yeah. point of having a community meal, whether people come or not, whether yeah. they become members or not, whether they yeah. connect or not, it is the gospel when yeah. people get invited into a space that they mm-hmm. think I'm not. I don't belong yeah. there. And, and I didn't see it. I only saw this in retrospect. In the moment, I was simply trying to help them relax because I could see their mm-hmm. their nerves. Uh, and then in retrospect, I thought, wow, they they were just kind of overwhelmed by our kindness a bit. And um, I'm sure having uh, the undivided attention of the pastor really put those teenagers at ease. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Um, so I am, I mean, I don't know this elder, obviously, but I am just astonished and excited that... 
I mean, it wasn't you inviting those teenagers yeah, in. It was fantastic. one of your leaders saying, yeah. like, I get it. This is why we're doing this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's really, yeah. that's great. Yeah. That's great. So what's aston- astonishing you? Um, well, what's astonishing me is that I really almost missed something really incredible. I'm just, um, every week when we get the chance to preach, it's such a, it's such a gift and it's such a holy opportunity. And sometimes Mm. like you can get overwhelmed by your own part in it, right? Mm -hmm. You can get overwhelmed Mm -hmm. and thinking like, oh, I need to come up with something cool or make a connection. And that's just ridiculous, right? I mean, it's ridiculous once you take a step back and think, there's, there's, <laughs> I do not need to create anything to make the revelation of God more interesting or yes. more compelling. Yes. Right. Agreed. And so, I mean, the best preaching moments are just when you get out of the way and, um, anyway, so, but this past week it was Pentecost and I think what we were talking mm-hmm. on, the, on the podcast about like what an amazing moment that is and how I think misunderstood it is in our tradition and how much excitement we have towards yeah. elevating and just making that a, a, a key part of our um, worship rhythm and identity as a congregation. And so it just kind of puts, I don't know, you can put stupid pressure on yourself about Absolutely. that. So um, we had, um, I, I think I said last week that we were preaching on this, this text from numbers where um, Moses um is kind of in a funk and God takes some of the Holy Spirit that was on Moses and puts it on the other elders, the mm-hmm. other leaders in the camp. And um, and so the larger, so obviously that's a great Pentecost story because Pentecost is about how not just special people or ordained people or smart people are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's that it's God's desire that all God's people would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so mm-hmm. that's like a foretelling of that. And in the moment, one of Moses's assistants gets really offended um, that two elders that he didn't think were supposed to get the spirit got the spirit, even How though they, they weren't in the right place and they, they preached and prophesied without, you know, permission. And Mo- he goes to Moses and says, you know, you gotta, you gotta stop this. You gotta and, shut that down. Right. And Moses says, you know, I would that all God's people would mm. be prophets. Right. And that, um, anyway, so that's obviously just a foretelling of Pentecost, but but the greater context of that story is the reason Moses gets really discouraged is because the people who are in the middle of the desert, who are really living in the middle of their answered prayer, they are tired of eating manna, they're tired of miracles, mm. and um, they want the food that they used to have in Egypt. And so yep. they're complaining about not having meat. And so the the story, I mean, it's kind of this, I mean, like many biblical stories, it's, it's both... Um, wonderful and horrifying. So God says, oh, I'm going to give you meat. I'm going to give you so much meat. It's going to be coming out your noses. And mm. then the camp is sort of um, overwhelmed by this flock of quail right. that they say is like two and a half feet tall. Like it just lands on them. And the people do eat so much meat that they get Amazing. sick. And anyway, whatever. So the context of this whole story about the Holy Spirit is the people crying out for meat, for quail meat, and mm-hmm. wanting a flock of birds that they mm-hmm. could eat. And then it's Pentecost. And on Pentecost, we always try to do a big art installation in the sanctuary. And so this year, um, the woman who leads the ministry had come up with this really cool thing where they like these origami doves, like 400 of them, and they were tied to netting and the netting was suspended from a ceiling. And so we were doing that on Friday and it was, it was fun and it was, you know, hard. And at first you're like, I'm 
tying things that look like bits of garbage to a, to a net and hanging from the ceiling. But it's very cool. It does look very cool. It's but very I mean, cool. it, this is a metaphor for life in the church. You're like a little bit in and you're like, oh, this is either going to be really good or really terrible. And I, you know, you just don't know until you go all in anyway. But so we're doing that and kind of, you know, you know how in ministry often, I think in life, you just, you, your mind is on parallel tracks, right? Mm-hmm. So with part of my mind, I was thinking about this art installation. Mm-hmm. And with a different part of my mind, I'm thinking about preaching this text. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really making any connection between the two of them yeah. until, which means, honestly, that I was so busy doing ministry for God mm-hmm. that I was not mm-hmm. humbling myself or making time to just sit and be open Um I just wasn't. Mm. I was too too busy to pray. Yeah, I will own yeah, it. I was yeah. too stressed to pray. I'm wow. not proud of that. Yeah. I'm just mask off. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm preaching. I'm in the act of preaching. This is Sunday morning. Sunday you're, morning. You're like preaching. I'm literally standing in front of the congregation, <laughs> and I look up, and there are these flock of doves on the ceiling, and I'm like, Oh my gosh! <laughs> this is a story about people longing for a flock of birds to mm. eat meat. On the day when we celebrate the fulfillment of God's vision that all people would be filled with the spirit. Mm. And like, here's a deal that we are still the people that crave meat. Like we want things from God. We want answered prayers. We want what we desire. We want God to give us what we want. And God is still insisting on saying what you, what you need are not any of these earthly things. What you need is spirit. And so what we want is a flock of quail and what we need and what we're getting is a is a host of the Holy Spirit, right? Is a flock That's of doves, great. and it just was so crazy to me in that moment that I'm like, how did I miss it yeah. all week long when I'm Marthaing it up and like so full of cares and worries and many things, and literally I am tying symbols wow. of the Holy Spirit wow. to a net and just thinking like, gotta tie faster, gotta get it done. This is gonna yeah, look stupid, yeah. blah, blah blah, and just missing the idea that like. Wow. Duh, like we are in the middle of these promises. And there are times when just the logistics and administrative and needs Mm. and want and lack, Mm. it's so overwhelming and you feel so responsible and you want to meet people's needs and you want to make them happy and you want to solve their problems. And it's just so easy to slip into that and realizing that like the only thing that any of us have to offer is the gospel. So what are you thinking about? I am thinking about um, leadership in our church as we enter uh, what seems to be a a desert season. Uh, We are uh, an aging congregation. Um, We've had funerals recently. And so people are, you know, anxious about the future of the church. And uh, I'm aware of um, some of my own unhelpful leadership patterns uh, one of the things I have done um, in previous churches that I don't think is helpful is that when uh, those times of anxiety come up in the church, I tend to give solutions and to be very clear about what I think the church ought to do. And I think that's that's good, but I've done it in such a way that 
It hasn't left room for the elders to listen to what the Lord was saying to them. So the conversation and the energy uh, was centered around, do we think the pastor is right instead of what is the Lord saying to us? You know, we we were talking about this on our walk and what it strikes me now that didn't hit me when we were talking about this then is, you know, the problem with that approach is um, we as pastors ought to be able to see that as uncomfortable as it is to lead a congregation through a season of anxiety when we just sort of say, like, trust me, and I know how to fix it, that may solve the, quote, problem mm-hmm. of whatever. Of the moment. Of the moment. Like, so we get more people and get more money and get whatever. But the deeper spiritual opportunity is to say, how do we trust the Lord when we're feeling anxious? Mm-hmm. And when we simply say, oh, you're anxious, don't worry, do what I say, and everything will be okay, then we're de facto teaching people to trust us and robbing them of an opportunity to say, I know you're anxious, mm-hmm. um, and you know what? There's a reason every time somebody shows up to call someone to something in the Bible, it starts with fear not, right? Like yes. anxiety yes. Yes. is not mean you're on the wrong track. It means that you're probably at the beginning mm-hmm. or in the messy middle of the right track, right? And sure. the key, the, the challenge is not to make your anxiety go away, but mm-hmm. is to sort of say, yep, I'm anxious, things are hard, and but my job is response. to be faithful. Yes. My job is to yes. be faithful. And, yes. you know, we want to be faithful at a time when we feel successful and comfortable. Absolutely. I mean, and we can be faithful in times of success and comfort, but when we need the ability to walk in faith is in times when anxiety would tell us to run around and go in the other direction, right? And so um, I think that's the challenge is being able to say to people, you are anxious right now. That's not a sin. Mm -hmm. You're not bad. You haven't done anything wrong. But sometimes we have to follow the Lord through seasons of anxiety. And there's no way to discover that God is faithful until until we walk Mm -hmm. through it. Mm -hmm. And so if we try to artificially rid ourselves of anxiety by trusting the leader like a demigod or, mm-hmm. you know, aborting the mission right. to go back. Right. And either yes. of those things will will temporarily relieve the symptom of anxiety, but it will not um, help us to grow into the people that we are called yeah. to be. So, I mean, that's really interesting. Is to, And it's interesting maybe for you as a leader, for me as a leader in general to say my job isn't to, quote, fix this church or grow this church. I mean, mm-hmm. these are disciples who don't know how to follow through anxiety. And so mm-hmm. my job is to help people learn how to flourish. Even as I change my own patterns. Sure, right? absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, no, that's really... And I'm grateful to have a coach that's helping me walk through that to to say okay let's reflect because you've been here before you've mm-hmm. been around this mountain before so let's look like let's look at how you've handled this before let's and, clarify your coach is tom bandy yes yes, yes he's yeah. fantastic and uh yeah it's it's been helpful to well and i just think like naming that is really important too i think often our colleagues you know we come out of seminary and we think like okay now we should know everything mm. that we need to know. And aside from a few denominationally approved continuing education opportunities that are basically just tune-ups and reinforcements of everything we already know and believe in, yeah. we shouldn't need help in any other yeah. way. And so to say, like, no, 
the thing I'm trying to lead my church into being is not a place, you know, I haven't done this work before and I need to go and learn from someone who has. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I need mm-hmm. to be willing to humble myself and say, please tell me what I don't know I don't know. Yeah, and so I, I think we both had invaluable experiences working mm-hmm, with coaches mm-hmm. and saying, like, I cannot ask people who have never done a thing to teach me how to do it. Yeah. And that, I mean, if, if we're serious about revitalizing churches and growing churches and creating multi-ethnic churches, then I'm just unapologetic about saying, I can learn lots of valuable things from lots of people, mm-hmm. but I need to learn how to do this from someone who's done it. Yes. Well, and I would add that it's not simply about um, learning best practices from other congregations. It really is, at the end of the day, about the leaders and the congregation's spiritual formation, which also requires coaching. Right. Well, and it's just so interesting because at the beginning of the process, what you hear and what is so true is you've got to stop being so self-absorbed. You've got to look outward. You've got to put the needs of others first, which is true. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you realize, oh... I do not have the spiritual depth that I thought I had to do this work. So I both need to not think about myself and recognize that I've got to get more serious than I've ever been in my Mm. entire life Mm. about being rooted in Christ and being a practicing um, believer who walks by faith and not by sight and more and more rooted in my core values, which is my desire is not to be successful. I mean, let me be clear. My fleshly (laughs) desire is to be successful, but my deep spiritual desire is to be faithful. Mm. And so sometimes faithfulness and what the world calls success do not look the same. Check me the gospel. Mm, (laughs) And I have to be willing to say, like if a fork comes in the road, I'm walking down the path of faithfulness and not down the path of success. So anyway. So what are you thinking about? Um, Well, one of the things, you know, one of the great gifts of pastoring is getting the chance to go and, and study and prepare to preach. Um, and a lot of times you, you read all this interesting stuff and a a lot of it just can't make it into the sermon in my life, (laughs) not in your life. (laughs) I know, but I mean, I, I work, I work really hard at saying, well, not as I want to work even harder, but I just feel like the more work I do, the simpler my preaching becomes and Mm. the clearer I am about saying like, what is the one core Mm -hmm. true thing Mm -hmm. that I want people to know from this text. And there might be like two or three points to get to that one thing, but I need to know the one thing for this day and this season from this word. Um, And so a lot of times there are, are, when I'm studying and when I'm prepping, they're just amazing um, revelations that I have that I work really hard not to try to put every true thing or every interesting mm-hmm. thing into the sermon because I don't know, it's not confetti. It's meant anyway, whatever I'm working on that. I feel compelled to do that. And so last week when I was studying that, that text from numbers 11 that we were talking about, um, somebody was breaking it down. Well, I really like this guy, um, Joseph Parker, who was like a, I don't know, an 18th century British wow. preacher. And I don't know. I mean, I really know very little about him, except that there's a set of his commentaries in the library, and he preached the whole dang Bible. Wow. Um, But he was breaking down that text, and he had two really interesting ways of looking at 
um, the weakness of both the people when they were crying out for meat and the meat that the meat and cucumbers and garlic that they had in Egypt for free, mm. said the formerly enslaved people, right? Mm. So that's just an interesting thing. And then the problem that Moses had when he just got overwhelmed by the complaining of the people and basically in that moment gave up and said, literally, God, just kill me now. I can't mm. handle these people anymore. And he was saying, you know, there were t- there were a lack of two specific virtues and different ones. And so the people lacked the virtue of temperance. Mm-hmm. And then temperance is the ability to say no to the desires of the body. And a lot of times I think we think about like, oh, let's say no to let's say no to drugs or let's say no to alcohol or let's say no to pornography, like things that are bad for our flesh. Let's Mm -hmm. say no to those things. Um, But temperance is bigger. That's part of it. But the bigger part of it is sometimes we're called to say no to the desires of our flesh that are not bad, right? Mm. And so in that moment, the people just couldn't see past their craving for meat. And it's not like remembering fondly the good food they ate in Egypt. Egypt That wasn't bad. And it's not like wanting to eat meat or vegetables is a sinful desire. But it was that in that season, they had different food to eat. And they were on their way to the Mm -hmm. promised land, which was you know, flowing with milk and honey and would have had an abundance of all of these, you know, good foods to nourish the body with. And so sometimes the things that the body desires are not bad at all, but we can get so focused on the desires of our flesh that we spend our days, like one of my pet peeves, (laughs) like I hate it when I am like out to breakfast or lunch with a group of people and we're like eating a meal and that people will talk about what they're going to have at their next meal. Oh. And it drives me crazy. Oh, yeah. Like People I love very much have a habit of doing that. It just makes me crazy. I'm like, we're eating this food right now. Yeah. It's not even it's not even consumed yet. Yeah. And we're already planning the next good thing that we mm-hmm. want to eat. And mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with wanting to eat good food. But I do think it's about sort of checking and saying, like, are the things... Like, I remember one year um, I was looking at a um, like a Linton practice that Naughty Bowles Weber had written for her congregation and she encouraged them for a period of time to give up sweets. And she said, because you need to be able to know where else you find sweetness in your life. Mm. Like when you're desiring sweets, if the only thing you know to do is have a glass of rosé or eat chocolate, like just pay attention to the fact that those are not meant to be the only yeah. places where sweetness is. So yeah, anyway, good. so yeah, I just, I mean, I think temperance is such an old fashioned word and we don't think about it at all. And we sort of believe that like we have the freedom to have whatever we want. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, and that you deserve it, right? right? You're worth it. You're right? worth it. That's what I was. Thinking. And the reality is like, you know, I don't care what people's bodies look like and certainly desiring health is a good thing. But I mean, really it's deeper than that. It's about saying that sometimes we just can't let the things that our bodies desire be the driving forces in our yeah, life because there are just deeper and more vibrant and more meaningful things. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I think why we get into so much trouble of excess, whether it's shopping or gambling or playing or eating, it's because we're trying to fulfill the deepest desires of our souls with gifts from God that are good and right in their place, but just can't meet that need. Mm-hmm. But we just think, well, if I just got more and more and more and more yeah. sex, more yeah. drugs, yeah. more yeah. whatever, yeah. then I would be satisfied, but you'll never be satisfied because the deepest need you have can't be satisfied. Quail and the doves. Quail and doves, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other one, which I particularly resonated with, um, was Moses, that in that moment, he just sort of gave up. Um, and, and fortitude is the ability, the virtue that allows you the strength and the will to continue on um, 
Mm-hmm. Let's see. I have his definition. The virtue that strengthens the soul to carry on toward what is good in spite of danger, tiredness, and other passions telling us to stop and give up. And I just feel like so often, I mean, that's Eugene Peterson's, you know, a long obedience in the same direction. Mm-hmm. I mean, just this idea of like, just because we're not seeing quick, immediate results, if we know we're called to do something, then we ought to have the ability to stay the course in spite of obstacles. We don't ought not to need constant positive feedback Mm -hmm. loop, right? We ought to just, you know, and I was just thinking like there are times, um, when you're kind of in the middle of the work and, and you grow weary and the temptation is to say like, well, I'm out or let me go find someplace where everything can be sparkly and new and I can get like quick initial growth. And I mean, you think of the parable of the seeds where Mm. like you got no roots and so it springs up quickly and then withers. And if you're trying to do this deep rooted work, then we as pastors need to have the fortitude to be able to stay the course um, even when there's and not just as pastors, as disciples, sure. we need to be willing to stay the course and walk in the same direction according to our values um, and be able to disregard, you know, just not be constantly reacting mm-hmm. to boredom mm-hmm. or, you know, threat and just to be able to say, this is what God has called me to do. And so I'm going to do it. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. That makes me think of that place uh, in the New Testament where Paul says, work out your salvation in fear Fear and and trembling, trembling. right? This idea that there is spiritual work to be done. Mm -hmm. There's there's some work to be done for and in your soul, and it's hard, um, but it is rewarding. It's sweet. It's precious. It's powerful. And you're called to do it, mm-hmm. um, knowing that there there is a payoff. It's not immediate, but there is a payoff. And sometimes I get a little um, irritated with uh, some uh, in the church. Um, I'm not speaking of Derrida Church, but the church in general, who will be in awe of the practices of a Buddhist, uh, <laughs> but are blind to the call of their own faith, the faith that they embrace to do a spiritual work, to do this soul work. And um, I I feel like sometimes I have to constantly point people to that without going toward, you know, a a kind of legalism. But I I think you're exactly right. Well, and I think our culture in general wants the new, the latest, the Mm -hmm. best, the shiny, the overnight success. And that has crept into whatever Christian Mm -hmm. culture as well. And so we want to say... You know, if if you aren't, if you don't see immediate results, then go find a new place, a new teacher, a new practice, yeah, a new yeah. ministry program. And I mean, certainly, I mean, you and I both know that we we believe in the hustle. We believe in trying new things. It's not that we, you know, want to say keep doing, you know, never change anything. It's mm-hmm. not that, but but we just need to have some fortitude and some ability to say we've got to give things time to take root and particularly when it comes i think to investing relationships Mm. um, with people and to your first point in the community like it takes a long time for our churches to get a reputation in the neighborhood of what our culture is and that we're trustworthy and that so yeah we actually say what we're doing in this season we are re-establishing our Mm -hmm. reputation in this neighborhood Mm -hmm. absolutely and that's really important yeah, that's really, and it's yeah. not quick work. It's that's just right. not quick work. That's right. So, yeah. so, what are you preaching about? 
We are looking at the last of our core values uh, this week. Uh, we're number seven, last one, uh, which is hospitality. Uh, we're looking at Luke chapter 14, and uh, in that text, uh, Jesus is in the home of a Pharisee, and he heals a sick man on the Sabbath, which, of course, there's controversy, and he begins to teach on hospitality, uh, one about uh, compassion, uh, that if you would if you would rescue your child or ox out of a out of a pit on the Sabbath, uh, how much more uh, is God mm-hmm. seeking to rescue lost people or hurting people or sick people on on the Sabbath? Um, and so and 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 how much more are we to have a compassion for people? Mm-hmm. Uh, but also Jesus is teaching about humility, right? When you are a, a guest, uh, mm-hmm. don't. Uh, Go immediately for the place of honor. Find the lowest place. And um, uh, when you are the host, don't invite your family and friends and people Mm -hmm. who can repay you, but invite people who obviously can't repay you. Mm -hmm. And we're going to focus on um, the truth, the reality, that the reason uh, we're motivated to do that is because we recognize uh, that we've been... Uh, the recipients of God's great hospitality. Mm-hmm. We we cannot repay God for mm-hmm. uh, the great uh, welcome uh, to the table in Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. And so in turn, we become a people who say, okay, let's go get the, the lost, the last, the least, and, and invite them in. I love what you're saying on the walk about what you're going to start by sort of, people think they know what hospitality is. Yes, and so yes. I think just to expose the whole... Southern culture, mm. Martha Stewartization, where it's all about really honoring yourself. That's right. And making, you know, making a meal that will make people think like, oh my gosh, they're so, so amazing yeah. that, you know, I could never yeah. do this. Yeah. That that is just a, um, just kind of like a, like a demonic perversion it, of it what is, true hospitality is about. I think from the text, Jesus would just simply label that as pride. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is it is human pride. And true hospitality is always about the other. It's always about yeah. honoring the mm-hmm. other. And, and I just feel like when our churches are interested, and we were talking on the walk about... <laughs> a friend who's in seminary and they were talking about where people felt called and she was saying that many of her colleagues with great sincerity and, and maybe great truth like said oh I feel called to evangelize rich people like Seriously? wealthy people wealthy wow. people and I, I mean whatever wealthy people need evangelism I'm not but I just think like when the church is running to welcome and honor the same people that the mm. culture is running to welcome and honor like we need to check that, yeah. and um, I, I just think that's a really interesting thing. I remember talking to a student um, when I was working at Queens, and she worshipped at a mega church in Charlotte, and she was we were talking about why, um, and she was saying, "Well, I just love their heart for evangelism. I mean, they have five campuses, and they're about to do two more." And I was like, "Interesting. Where are their campuses?" And she was like, "Well, you know, Myers Park and Ballantyne and Lake Norman." And I was like, "Huh? What do you notice?" about all of those places. And I, I mean, like, I, I kind of felt bad because it was just so, like, bursting a bubble. I'm like, well, that's interesting that they have chosen to put mm-hmm. all of their campuses in the whitest, wealthiest mm. neighborhoods yeah. in Charlotte. And so wow. do I believe that they have a sincere and authentic passion for evangelism? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean... 
then I'll say. <laughs> so, um, but that idea of saying like, no, we rush to welcome in and honor those that the world has despised because yeah. God rushed to welcome and honor yeah. us when we despised God. And when we understand that we're not worthy, mm-hmm. then we love to welcome in other people that the world yeah. calls unworthy. So that's really cool. Yeah. So it. what are you preaching? Um, well, we are the starting. The devs are still up. The devs right? are still up. Yeah. They'll still be up for you a while. You may have another revelation in the I midst of not. preaching. I'm going to try to be a little quieter before. Um, I um, We are starting a new worship series on rebuilding um, the walls midway through. We're looking at, um, I know, Hinton is laughing at me because <laughs> I'm preaching a sermon. The wall. <laughs> Yeah, it's a problematic metaphor, right? But once again, I did not write the Bible. So Nehemiah the priest is rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and um, is kind of midway through and begins to face a lot of opposition. Interestingly, um, it's it's really people are mocking them and making fun of them. And there's some like implicit threat of violence, but really it's mostly um, detractors saying, you know, you're losers and who do you think you are? And the work you're doing is garbage and you're never going to stick with it. And like, you should just give up. And I think, and, and it's interesting that this particular passage is they're midway through. So they've started the work, they're midway through, you know, that, and it, one of the things I was reading was talking about, like, this is um, the devil's one lie is to just come and say, you're weak. Um, you're a fool, like you think God asked you to do this, but you know, God's tricking you, Mm. whether that's like the snake coming to Adam and Eve and being like, you idiots aren't eating this apple. God, you know, this is a lie. Like you don't need to, you know, or, um, or, you know, the, the, the Satan coming to Jesus in the desert saying like, just I'll give you the kingdoms. You don't have to do this other stuff. So, I mean, that idea that Nehemiah had been called by God to rebuild the walls, they were doing the right and faithful work, and to the watching world, it just looked like a stupid waste of time. And, you know, and they were weak, and that was the big insult is you're weak. And so just sort of thinking that a lot of times in ministry, when we're doing the work of God, we're realizing like, oh... I'm not strong enough to do this, which is why so often we substitute God's agenda for our own, where Mm -hmm. we can be in control and we can pull Mm -hmm. it off and we're not vulnerable. But, and also like people don't understand what we're doing and it looks improbable and like it will be a waste of time. And, um, and particularly like we're doing this work of revitalization and so much, it's so much more comfortable and desirable to either. And I've talked about this before, like when I was in seminary, my understanding was if you're really, really good then you will get called by a really good church and your job will be to keep it really good, Mm -hmm. right? Like that was the dream. And so this idea of it might be good and holy work to go and do the work of rebuilding. In messy places. Right, and and that it's not... The work itself is messy. Right, and that, you know, beginnings are wonderful and obviously moments of fulfillment are desirable, but you just can't get from a holy beginning to a moment of fulfillment and faithfulness without being willing to persevere through the middle. And I don't know that we have the vision for that. And I think a lot of times, you know, we, we preach and teach the greatest hits moments, you know, what miracle is Jesus doing this week? And we, we tell encouraging stories of times where people were faithful and bam, their life was changed. And we don't give people the spiritual resources they need to be faithful in the middle. And so, um, that's what we're gonna think about this week. Cause I really believe 
um, that the Grove is very much in the middle of the work of transformation mm-hmm. and we need to not lose heart and not be satisfied mm-hmm. with what's halfway done. Yeah. And um, anyway, so that's what, that's what we're doing. All right.